This podcast is brought to you by Harness Racing New South Wales. It's good times all round at Harness Racing across New South Wales as the state's finest horses and drivers go wheel to wheel. With something for everyone, a trip to the trots is the perfect place to take family and friends. It's easy, affordable and action-packed, so get down to your local track and experience it firsthand. Get all the info at harnessmediacentre.com.au and we'll see you at the track for good times all round. Harness Racing is well known for its capacity to attract generations of families. All over Australia, it's not uncommon to find three or four generations who followed their forebears into the industry. Here in Sydney, the name Binskin is as well known as any in the business through the achievements of W.J. Jack Binskin, J.E. John Binskin and latterly Darren Binskin, a third-generation horseman who's still very active in the training ranks. He prepares a small team of horses from the Menangle Training Complex and is a regular in the winner's circle. Darren has closely observed training methods in three different eras. He remembers the way his grandfather trained them when a respectable mile rate at Harold Park was about 2.12. He worked with his late dad, John, in the era when most Miracle Mile winners were just starting to get inside the two-minute barrier, and now he's a regular competitor at Menangle, where maidens frequently run 1.52 or 1.53 on a Tuesday afternoon. Darren Binskin is one of the most observant, inquisitive trotting horsemen I've ever known. He's a great student of the harness horse and has always been prepared to study trends, to try new ideas and to explore every avenue in the training of his horses. And it's a great pleasure to welcome Darren Binskin to the podcast. G'day, mate. How are you going? I'm very good, thanks, John. And yourself? Well, Darren, and good to talk to you. No, it's my pleasure. Now, you've been based at Menangle for three years after having spent your entire trotting life at Bankstown. Your grandfather trained there, your dad trained there, and so did you until very recently. Darren, do you remember the time when the streets around the Bankstown track rang to the clippity-clop of horses' hooves all day long? Yeah, it was uh, an era, unbelievable era, really. Um, if you look back now, you can't believe there's so many horses in a residential area. Mm. Uh, and you just quite often, as you're going to the track, someone else would be coming back from the track. So it was like constant. You would see horses and any one time there'd be 20 or 30 horses on the track. Mm. Do you have any idea of the biggest number of horses ever trained in the Bankstown precinct? I would say 300, 300 or just over 300 horses would have been there uh, at, at probably the heyday of Bankstown. Mm. Today, it's a handful. Yep, there's not many, uh, 10 or 15 possibly, um, but that, that'd be maximum, but it'd be under 10, I'd imagine, John. Mm. Who's there, trainers? Um, Peter Hanson, Peter Dewsbury. Um, um, Joe Morrow still there. Joe Morrow, Paul Russo, mm. and that's that's 
that's about it. There's probably one or other two that I, I should know, but I, I, they escaped my mind. Ernie uh, Ericilio? Yes, yes, Ernie, that's right. Yep, Ernie's there. What about Gary yeah. Leonard? Does he turn up occasionally? Yeah, Gary Leonard, yep. Yeah, Gary, shouldn't forget. Gary, Gary's one, one of the nicest people to ever meet and our mm. families were for, for generations have been friends. I love the story you tell about the day a television crew came to Condell Park to shoot a story on harness horses for Simon Townsend's Wonderworld, a very popular children's TV program which ran on the 10 network for a long, long time. You were one of the extras on the day. What were they doing? Well, it's unbelievable. Um, Not so long back I Googled it and found that my grandfather was um, showing the big trotters off to the mini trotters. So it was a... It was quite an interesting story and how my grandfather explained to to the young people how they should look after their horses and he's such a great horseman and, and his expertise, I think, still probably rung in their minds for a long time. Mm. So that is that on YouTube? Uh, people can it's just... Somewhere, do- yes, yeah, it's on YouTube. It's um, Simon Town's Wonderworld and it's about mini trotters. Uh, I oh. don't know the exact... Um, but if you Google mini trotters, I think you, you actually mm. find it. Right. The Bankstown Club still conducts a limited number of meetings every year with the support of businessmen like Colin McDowell, but the atmosphere is nothing like it was in the good old days when Double Agent won the very first Truer Memorial. Yeah, it, the atmosphere at Bankstown, because it was run every Monday, it was like a tradition people would go to the trotting club or the trotting track uh, and it was a lot of young families that just take their children out and they'd run on the grass and play and and the people would have a punt so it was a it was a great time uh, sorely missed but that's modern day racing all around mm. Darren do you remember the Sunday Jim Carners there you'd get 23 or 24 races. Yes, like all Jim Carners back then, and it, and Bankstown was one of the most popular. People loved just to go out, and because trotting such a family sport, they mm. would turn up and and just have a good time, have a joke, and you know, race, trial their horses, and it was good. And you get a little mm. prize at the end of it. You might get a harness or a head stall or something, mm. where everyone loves to get something for nothing, John. <laughs> Human nature. <laughs> Human nature. Now, the top Correct. number of horses for you these days would be nine or ten. Currently, you're down to seven. But you've never been a big team trainer because you like to spend a lot of time with every horse and assess all of their little characteristics. Yeah, I think the the thing, the biggest thing, and I applaud anyone that can do a large team of horses, big. I personally can't because I just I think I'm a little bit of a control freak that I I got to know how how they feel and and how how they're doing in their like checking their feeds before we work and checking after do their heart rates. There's a number of things that you just got to know mm. so you can get the maximum performance. I believe out of the horse, mm. and you can't do that with fifty in work. Well, you, you probably can, but God, my God, there must be good workers that work at those stables because <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Your principal owner is a businessman, Emilio Rosati, 
who's raced an enormous number of horses in Sydney in the last 30 years, in fact, all over Australia. And he has certainly been the biggest spender at the yearling sales. You've known him a long time, haven't you? Well, unfortunately for him, <laughs> he, he, he was um, my, my grandfather's next-door neighbour, so I seen Mary, um, Emil and, and his children all the time, so for 30-odd mm. years. And he, he probably didn't want to give me horses, but Mary probably said, "You better get some to Darren." And we've done okay since he has. And mm. but he, it's a it's a very good story. Mel wasn't a multi millionaire to start with, mm. but he just he worked hard and uh, he had his dreams, thought some good ideas, and uh, he's enjoying it now, the fruits of his labour, as they say. Mm. Mm. Many years ago, he was wanting you to take yearlings and two year olds. Uh, it didn't suit you at the time. Yeah, I took a couple, but it was at that time. I was because you're a small trainer. It's too long a job for a small trainer that's had six or seven horses then to have babies and not have race horses. Mm. Uh, it's all right having a big stable, but when you're aligned, if those horses don't turn out, you've lost a year out of your income on horses that did, didn't turn out. So mm. I'm sort of a. I, I'd rather race. I like the babies. But if they've got to be going for me, John, to yeah. instead of having to get them up and going, if you can buy one that's going along and that I like, mm. I seem to do better out of those horses. Yeah. What are your memories of your grandfather, Jack Binskin? I seem to remember him as a great aficionado of the square trotter as opposed to the pacer. He loved the trotters. Yeah. He, back then he used to spend a lot of time, he'd go to Melbourne and race. He had a really good horse called Dalwood Lad. I was too young to remember him, but he won like seven in a row on the on the showgrounds in Melbourne. Uh, but he was a really great horse. But he was a great driver. He, out of the three, I think I think he was probably just as good, if not better, than Dad. Um, yeah. But he, yeah, yeah, I do. And and we all know Dad's like. But Pop was a very unassuming person. Didn't like to didn't like the limelight as such. No. Where, where maybe I, uh, I might, I might, but but yeah. he didn't. Um, yeah, he didn't. But and and Dad was a bit more flamboyant again. So, yeah. but bet- a great driver. If you watch him driving, he probably his style was probably American style before we even knew what American style was. Yes, yeah. Do you do you recall Granddad ever leaving you with any little hints about horses and life in general? Well, he, he's a great thing, and, and I actually tell it to anyone that will listen, young people, talk to the horses, form a connection to the horses. They're, they're not just there for your pleasure. They're, they're, they, want, they want communication. Although they can't talk, there's certain ways that they do talk to you back. But if you give them a calm voice and, and talk to them, you, you usually, <coughs> excuse me, join up with them. Mm. And the ones you join up with, you're going to do better. And I watch... That's why the girls probably do a little bit good with some of the older horses because the the bit of the kindness and more more with the girls, I think that they do well because of what my grandfather told me. And that's talk to them, either woo them down or ask them to go forward or whatever. Those little things uh, are still I've seen it in America, and, and they have that connection as well. So that's universal, what I can see. Yep. Your dad, John Binskin, who died in 1999, was one of several legendary horsemen to compete at Harold Park 
in that golden era from the 60s through to the 80s. Now, your dad had a very distinctive driving style and he was instantly recognisable in his famous colours of black with green stars and a green cap. I can still see him. Did his training methods differ from those of your grandfather? Yeah, very much so, John. Dad, to his credit, uh, he would, if he seen a style, uh, he'd change to, to suit how the racing evolved. Mm. So he wasn't stereotyped into, I'm going to train this way for the rest of my life. Mm. As, as different training methods come in, um, we were very lucky and blessed that a, a guy called George Noble come and trained at Bankstown when he had his horses from New Zealand. Mm. He, he had a great way of training horses, great connection with his horses. And that that brought just a little thing where we pull the hobbles out after they work and trot around mm. uh, so the horses recover, different things like methods like that. But Dad would change. Mm. If he thought it was a good method, he'd, he'd give it a try. But he, he had his basic methods. As soon as he got a horse, he let their gear out, let their heads down, mm. trained them strong in their gear, and, yeah, he was a very good standing start driver. Mm. He was a great judge too, wasn't he? If he thought a horse could win, he was rarely off the mark. No, even when I first started driving when I was 16, he'd say to me, this horse will win. <laughs> we backed it mm. and it was instant pressure, but uh, they They won every time he said they'd win, they'd win. Mm. I told you this little story the other day, and I'll repeat it for our podcastees. He he drove a horse at Bankstown one night called Campiador, and I drove a horse in the race called Scotch Knight, and I should have won easily. I got out of a pocket very late, flashed up and couldn't catch him, and I'm grumbling and complaining and spitting chips as we went past the post, you know. (laughs) <laughs> he looked at me, you know, that look he could give you yeah. th- through the goggles. I can still see him. He said, listen, son, if you're going to stay in this business in the future, you've got to learn one thing. You can't win every week. <laughs> <laughs> I can still hear him saying it. Yeah, yeah, he uh, <laughs> he had a dry sense of humour. You had to know him to uh, understand mm. his dry sense of humour, but he did have a wicked sense of humour, John. Oh, he did. He picked up a lucky outside drive to win the 1988 Inter-Dominion Grand Final at Harold Park on our maestro for a Victorian trainer who was your great mate, the late Vin Knight. Now, even though John didn't train the horse, I'm sure I never saw him happier, Darren, than he was that night. It was a big kick for him. Well, the amazing part, and it was documented, he actually won the Inner Dominion on, on my grandfather's birthday. And then when they done the interview afterwards, my grandfather said, oh, Darren should have won. <laughs> but, <laughs> it, but he was, he was ha- my grandfather was that happy. It was unbelievable. But because of his, um, mm. yeah, he'd play it down. But no, he was very, very happy. I won, I won a, it's quite interesting. I won a, my first drive in the Dominion, the heat of the Inner Dominion on my on Dad's birthday on the 5th of April. Goodness and then me, me grandfather, uh, then Dad won the final on his, his father's birthday. What horse did you win the heat on? A horse called Corral to Gift. I remember him, yeah. And he went like, uh, it was in 86, 84, 86, 86. Mm. He went, um, 
155.4, which was the Indominion Mile record at Albion Park. Mm. Uh, and it, it went for like 10 years. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me, before it was broken. Yep. Darren, I'll just get you to stand by there, mate. We've got a clearer commitment on the podcast, and we'll be back with you in just a moment. It's good times all round at Harness Racing across New South Wales as the state's finest horses and drivers go wheel to wheel. With something for everyone, a trip to the trots is the perfect place to take family and friends. It's easy, affordable and action-packed, so get down to your local track and experience it firsthand. Get all the info at harnessmediacentre.com.au and we'll see you at the track for good times all round. My special guest is Darren Binskin and we're talking about his late father, John. You worked for John for nine years, Darren. Was that easy? <laughs> uh, I always remember one, um, he, he gave me a lot of life lessons, which as a young guy, a young kid, you didn't really understand. You understand now, but yeah. I remember one day, I was 12, me, me and my brother were working horses. We come around the corner, my brother shot me up and down I went. <laughs> anyway, I thought, I thought, oh, here's my chance. I'm a bit sore. I'm going to get a day off today. Mm. So he walks in. There I am, sort of a bit beat up. Mm. I go, what, what are you going to do today, Dad? He goes, I'm going out. You're going to work the lot. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> and I, oh, I was so angry, it wasn't funny. Yeah. And then I just, uh, I got up, done my work, whatever. And then it, it's just self-explanatory. It's not to give up that easy if you, if you hurt or whatever. And he, he, he gave me a lot of life lessons. And even just from that, I can remember I wasn't happy. I can assure you. But <laughs> you know, just get up. It was a, a very sad night when he collapsed at a Bankstown meeting. In 1999, he was actually up in the Binskin Lounge uh, when it happened, a room named in his honour. You know, Correct. In hindsight, he, he may have been happy about that. Yeah. Well, the thing was there was a lot of um, things leading up to his passing that um, was was uh, interesting looking back. I mean, he, he passed on the anniversary of Bankstown trotting track 35 years of the opening just little things like that his best friend stayed with him for a couple of weeks before mm. he passed away and then it was it was so tragic and sad but there's also in in all circumstances you've got to look at the best the best of it John mm. veteran trotting people will well remember some of his best horses Darren Alec Carney what a great little racehorse he was. Out for glory, action advice, big bucks, like a light, Ainsley Dillon, amazing trick, and many, many others. Now, he liked to drive them all himself, didn't he? I don't think he threw too many drives your way. Well, that's what these juniors have got to suck it up, John, because when, when I was a junior and, and probably Gavin Lang was the same, we didn't get to drive. Our fathers were great drivers and... We'd get a little, we get a couple, to, a couple of drives a year, and be thought it was they were giving things away, or they were suspended. But that's the only way we got on on them. Mm. You've got crystal clear recollections of your first winning drive out of the Mobile Gate, and you had to go all the way to Rockhampton to do it. 
and you had to beat a pretty good horse to do it. Now, for a start, how the hell did you get to Rockhampton? Well, uh, we flew up. I was actually lucky because uh, they took the horses up by road from, from Queensland. They were running in a Queensland championship, a lot of the really good horses. And as you said, it was Pale Face Adios, um, Jacraig Adios, Michael Frost. Mm. Eva Thor. Eva Thor, which luckily that I drove and she won mm. out of my first mobile drive. I, I had no clue, mm. which probably made made her a bigger certainty because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. But all, all I knew, she was just a great trier and she and it was right-handed and she actually went better right-handed mm. or just as good right-handed as she did left. Where were you relative to Paleface Adios during the running of that race? Well, Paleface Adios got caught outside the leader. He he charges outside the leader mm. and I, I ended up being in behind the leader mm. and as I come to the top corner, I was pushing out mm. and then um, – the leader run off, and then I just ducked up the inside, and it looked like I was a good a good drive, but I think it might have been more of a fluke, John. Mm. Other than Dad, there were two other Harold Park drivers for whom you had tremendous respect. Who were they? Well, Kevin Robinson, uh, Kevin Robinson, and Terry, and I, I I should have said before, and Kevin Newman. Those guys, if you watched them, they were professional, they were so neat and they had such a beautiful style mm. that they never looked flustered. They always looked like they were in control of their horses mm. and their horses used to just race accordingly, like all their horses, because like there's not many catch drivers back then, John, mm. there is now. So the guys knew their horses and they, they knew how to drive them. 2001, and you suddenly felt the need to spread your wings. You took yourself off to the United States. You based yourself at the very busy Northfield Park precinct in Ohio and you set about getting noticed. Ohio, Darren, is a very busy harness racing state in America. They've got a number of tracks there, including the famous fairgrounds at Delaware where they run the little brown jug. Yes. Yeah, that's right, John. I was lucky enough. I drove it um, the day of the little brown jug that betters the light one. Oh. Uh, I raced against a lot of good drivers. I only got, uh, I think, two, four, so two drives, but mm. it was just a pleasure. And, and a lot of the Australian guys are there and they were roaring and yelling and carrying <laughs> on as I went past, which was awesome mm. because I'd been away for quite a while. And uh, yeah, it was something I'll never forget. And betters the light, as we all know, is probably the best side that's been down under in the last 10 years at least. Mm. Well, everything was going along really well in America. You were there for nine months and you were just starting to make your presence felt when disaster struck. One night you were trailing a horse being driven by Walter Case Jr. when the unthinkable happened. Yeah, you don't you don't see it often, John. I've been in a couple of races happen. But the the race bike snapped mm. at the at the back, and I was hard up on his helmet, and mm. there's nowhere to go. He slowly went down. I just went straight over the top, mm. and I fell, and I landed on the back of my ribs, Ooh. and I broke three three at the back, and mm. and bruised my spleen. So I kept driving for a little while, but it just wasn't working out. I was in a bit of pain, and I thought, well, mm. I've got to get myself home and get myself sorted. 
Yep, you got yourself home and you quickly got your career back on track. Two two years later, though, you got itchy feet again. Yeah, back, that's right. Back to Ohio. Yes, John. But but the, it had changed. Um, I didn't feel quite the need as I did the first time. Mm. And when I got back there, I was just homesick and, and I just said, no, i got to go home. I was always homesick before, but I was mm. in, a, in a worse state when I was there. Yeah. And that's why it, it's a lot of people don't understand. The people that are successful over there, I take my hat off to them because you're going away from your home. And at, like I had my son was only small, so mm. it was it was a no brainer. He he said to me one day, "Dad, I forgot what you look like," and that, that was enough for me. Oh, of course. While you were there, you got to train an odd horse in Ohio, and one of them was a big mare called Gull Magic. You really liked her. Yeah, she was a beautiful big mare, big strong mare. She <clears throat> don't think she was. They thought highly of her. But she, I believe she wasn't that fit and she ended up, I had her for a little while and she ended up becoming a national champion mm. um, in Ohio for an AIDS mare, which, you know, she just kept winning and getting better all the time. So mm. she was, she helped me along my career when I was there mm. as a driver, but no one really knew because it, it, she wasn't in my name as trainer. So that, that's why you never get the accolade, but no. I, I know what I've done, so that's the main thing. Yeah. Let's run through some of the talented horses you trained and drove in your own right. I remember a big mare called High Viewanna. You won 17 races with her, including a carousel final and several at Harold Park. Darren, I was looking at a record. She had two brilliant sequences of wins. She won four straight on one occasion and five straight in another. Yes, yeah, she she was she was probably a Menangle Park horse, uh, and she had the gait of a horse that goes good at Menangle. She had the speed mm. off the, off the gate. She had everything that you'd want in a, in a in a race mare, mm. um, and she won us two cars. So I couldn't ask more of her. She won the Open at Harold Park, but she started getting on season, and then we retired her. Yep. Flushing Meadow was a talented mare, ability to burn, but very quirky. Yeah, she'd put the boots in every time we went on the track uh, <laughs> to race, and but if she didn't, she, she wasn't right. So if she was quiet, I'd be more concerned. Than, but she, we formed a good connection because she was a bit wild, mm. but once, once we sorted out all that, she was actually a beautiful horse to drive. Mm. Um, but she done something that probably we'll never see again. She actually raced in the size stakes final for Colts and Geldings. So she won a heat of the Colts and Geldings, mm -hmm. and she raced one second in the final, which they won't, you'll never see it again. Like, but she could race in it because it was for bigger money. Yeah. But she won every, she won every classic race, and she ended up. You mean they'd let a filly into those finals if they'd qualified? Yes, yeah, if you wanted to qualify one. But she's the only one that I know of that ever never happened. Yeah, goodness. And then they they stopped it. But she, she won oh, pretty much every every two-year-old Philly classic there was. Mm. Um, and she become, which was the biggest honour, she was an Australasian two-year-old of the year that included New Zealand. So, mm. yeah, and she wasn't a champion horse, but she was a champion race horse. Yeah. 
Holy Chip was one of your favourites. You won 10 races with him, several at Harold Park. Yeah, he was a really good horse and he won me a – I've been lucky to win some floats. He won me a Carbone Chemicals Cup at um, Newcastle off 20 metres behind. He absolutely bolted in, but the prize was a $14,000 float. Um, I think it was $1,000 worth of Carbone Chemicals. Mm. um, golf set. There were so many good prizes. It was like you actually, the trainer was winning winning in the Inner Dominion final. Mm. It was that good. So, yeah, it's it's something that I always remember him, but he was brilliant speed. You could just pull him. He ran fourth to Christian Cullen in a tour, which he should have been a bit closer. Mm. No, good horse. Yeah, very quick, wasn't he? Very fast. Mm. You mentioned Keralta Gift earlier. You won a heat of an inter-dominion with him in Brisbane, but all up you won 12 with Keralta Gift. Yeah, he was a good little horse. He, he won uh, three heats of the inter-dominion in his career. Mm. Close he's got fourth, probably the first time he ran fourth. I think uh, if he got a better barrier draw, he would have been second to Village Kid. Mm. Uh, um, but but he was just one of those horses that uh, he needed to sort of sit up and sprint. He couldn't do the hard yards, but he was awfully fast when you wanted him to be. Special mention of Rainbow Knight. He'd won yeah. eight races before you got him in 1995, and you won another 18 with him, including the Australian Pacing Championship final in 96. You beat our Savance a lot on that occasion. Uh, you trained him. Lisa Justice drove him. Yeah, yeah. At that time, um, Lisa was doing a bit of driving. She come from Adelaide. They were Adelaide owners. Uh, I drove him a couple of times. He won. But we ended up qualifying two for the Indian final that year. I was called JJG in Rainbow Night. You drove but, JJG. Yeah. Mm. And the thing was probably the greatest thing out of it is you like to think as a trainer you have them ready for the bigger races. Mm. And... I'd sort of planned his preparation to perfection and I got beat a nose. So oh, yeah. I, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, that disappointed in, in hindsight, but at the time you're a little bit, you think you should have, should have gone closer to winning. Yeah. And then there was Gaius Caesar, a remarkable old horse who won 35 races all up. He'd had 30 starts in Victoria and South Australia before you got him in 2012. You went on to win another 17 with him, including three Group 1s, the Bohemia Crystal, the Cordina Farm Sprint and the Len Smith Mile, driven in all three by an emerging talent called Lauren Tritton. Yeah, that's correct, John. He he was a... He was pretty wild. He had a really bad foot. He had bad CD toe when I first got him. I really didn't want to take him. He couldn't win on a Monday at Globe Derby. And the owner kept saying, you've got to take him, you've got to take him. And I, I just I, I relented, much to my uh, disgust at the time. I thought, oh, he, he if he can't win there, he's, he's not going to be able to go here. Mm. And he was cranky because this sore foot, he had this bad CD toe. But... Mm. Luckily, I cut it all out and it responded to treatment and it come good. Mm. And after that, it was just like turning the light on with him. He 
he knew wasn't in pain and he, he started to settle down and but he was a tradesman he he didn't he won the group ones because he was a tradesman mm. uh the first the Bohemian Crystal, he, he went he went really good because he out-toughed them. Cordina mm. Sprinty out-sped him. Mm. Uh, and I always said to Lauren, the only time you drove him when he won mm. was um, the Len Smith because the drive was a cracker. So the other time it was probably the horse. Mm. But then that race, it didn't make her happy when I used to tell her that. But <laughs> she probably realised that one day that, you know, sometimes the horses are too good on the day, mm. and then sometimes the driver makes a huge difference. Mm. Now, an unpleasant memory, Darren, the story for which Gaius Caesar is best remembered. He made the Miracle Mile field in 2013, and like all Miracle Mile runners, he was under a security watch in your stable from the previous day. Now, on the Sunday morning, you administered the contents of a syringe onto his tongue in view of the security guard. It was a product called Stomacoat, which was a mixture of zinc and magnesium and calcium. You gave it to him every day on his feed. The security guard made a note of your actions on a report sheet, which was handed to the stewards when you arrived at Menangle, and all hell broke loose. How did it unfold? Well, how it unfolded, I actually told the security guard what I was doing so that he could document it so there was no that there'd be no problem. So he he when I've done it, he's he just put it down as well as that he wasn't informed that you couldn't you couldn't mm. syringe the horses. Mm. And at the time the horse had a lot of people around, he was playing up, he wasn't eating. And I thought I was doing the right thing at the time. In hindsight, it was the wrong thing. Uh, and I accept whatever's happened. Mm. But the only thing that's probably a little burns in me a little bit is it wasn't a administrating anything to help the performance. Not at all. And that year the Melbourne, the Melbourne Cup, uh, um, same thing happened, but the guy administrated um, mm. a Meprazole, which – is for ulcers, and it was a lot. It was a lot harder treatment than what I'd done. Mine was just mm. a, a vitamin. Mm. And so you felt on the day and in hindsight that under all of the circumstances, the stewards were entitled to give some leeway. Well, it's the it's the Miracle Mile. It's one of the key races. Uh, knowing that it wasn't a drug. To enhance the performance, it probably it's a it's a bugbear, but you accept whatever happens at the time, as long as it's it's an even playing field, and okay, at the time probably um, now the security guards are informed that you can't go near the horse, so that the security guard doesn't have to protect me, but that you think it protects the public. So that horse that was bet on or whatever could race. Mm. You're one trainer with an appreciation of uh, the treatments that you give to horses and the job those treatments do. And as I said in the introduction, you're an amateur vet in your own right and you've learned to identify and diagnose most problems that these harness horses can come up with. You've always been very interested in the animal itself. 
Well, I think, John, if you're going to have longevity, I've been lucky enough that if I do get a horse that can go, I can keep him performing at much the same level. And I believe if you're a good trainer, it's not getting this peak performance out of a horse. It's actually trying to keep them going at a certain level so they can maximise their career and their prize money. So I I don't like to get them injected in their hocks and things like that. We try other things that, that could be the last resort. It's not as though I'm not going to go there. But it's something, if I was longevity in horses, you just try to give them as much herbal products as possible and acupuncture and poulticing their feet and all the little things, all the one percenters. And I believe that if you went to most of the top stables, it's the one percenters that make the difference of when they're training for group group races. Harness racing has been through some turbulent times over the years and we've seen many participants leave the game and move on to other things. Uh, the thought has probably crossed your mind from time to time, but you've always quickly dismissed it. You know, the great Fred Kersley said to me in a podcast recently, once the standard bred horse gets into your DNA, you'll never shift it. I think no, you'll I, agree with that. I'm, I'm sure of it, John. And the thing is, in any in life, if you love something and you love it enough, you can block most things out that annoy you about a certain thing, about sport, the sport and whatnot, because ultimately you get up in the morning, you get to spend time with the horses, you get to, to train them, just the feel of them on different things, the pattern and, you know, people think, you know, once you're a trainer, you don't have that connection with the horses. With my horses, they're happy to see me in the morning, I reckon. <laughs> 90% of the time, maybe 10% they don't want to see me. But, but but they actually come out, and I used to have a couple of mares that were quite good, um, Tack Taylor's like Millwood Liberty, and I had a week off once, and Tack Taylor was like my girl. Then when I come back from my holiday, she just turned her back on me and and put a bum towards me, and that was it. She didn't want me to touch her, so I had to give her brand mashes every day. This went on for like five, six days till she relented and then turned around and just come out and started winning at me again. So Yeah, you won yeah. her over. Yeah. I had to, I was, I was, I'd do a lot of crawling. Yeah, but you had to understand what her problem was. No, it's, it's like I, she was my girl. Like anyone went to drive her, she'd take off and bolt and carry on. Mm. But me and her had a good understanding and we – when I went away, it's like she went, no, that's it. You, you've left me. No, I'm having nothing to do with you. And I've had a lot of women like that, John. <laughs> you know, speaking of women, here is a special one. Your mum, Rita, was a regular at Harold Park in the good old days and she used to sit in the same seat every Friday night to watch the races with her dear friend, the late Shirley Watts. I can still see him sitting there. Yeah, her and Shirley had a very special bond. Um, they loved going to the races and they'd chat and chat and chat and they'd have a little punt and have a laugh and, mm. you know, all the people that were in their company, they all had a good time and, uh, yeah, she sorely missed Shirley. She's such a beautiful soul of a person. And Mum Rita, going well, living on the south coast, yeah, she lives south coast, coast to my brother. Yep. Which I go visit most Sundays, but 
um, yeah, we're just with this the way the world crisis is. We're trying to stay safe and stay away from our elderly parents. Of course, Darren, will you do me a favour when this thing passes, and when you see Mum again, will you give her my fondest regards? I certainly will, John. That will be my pleasure. You reminded me the other day of an occasion uh, when your late dad appeared as my guest on a Saturday morning trotting show. I had on Channel 9. It was around 1971. You came to the studio with him. You were 10 years old. Yep. That's 50 years ago, mate. I I, I know, John, and I remember it vividly. I'm I'm like that. I have a good recall for certain things that I'm Mm. interested in. And it was just, yeah, I could remember coming there and it was a whole new thing and it was like, yeah, it was like going to Disneyland for me. <laughs> it was a far cry from Disneyland, I can assure you. But to a 10-year-old, it uh, it would have had that effect. Well, it did, John. When you were 10, if we went to Cobbity to spell the horses, you just couldn't get in the car quick enough mm. to go up and see something different or to go see the horses running around in a, in a yard after they'd been in suburbia like where we lived. So mm. the simple things, John meant a lot more than a lot of other things. Mm. Darren, congratulations on a great career. You've been one of the best, mate, uh, and a horseman I have long admired. What about the night you drove a winner for me? Yeah. (laughs) I had a trotter who had more problems than you can poke a stick at, sore feet, you name it, he had it. His name was Leighton H. He was an expatriate New Zealander. And you drove him the perfect race to win one at Menangle for me. Well, it was my pleasure, John. I always wanted to drive a winner for you. I thought I'd get interviewed afterwards, but I didn't. (laughs) 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 No, no, he was – see, I still have that drive in me that when a horse is a little difficult or whatever, I don't mind driving them. I Mm. still get a kick out of it trying to connect with them and get the best out of them. I still, I, I, one thing Dad installed in me, be a good form student, understand what the horses can and can't do, what the drivers can and can't do. And if you do that, you're prepared. So if you don't win, at least your preparation's good. Thanks for your time, Darren. Been a delight having you on the podcast. My pleasure, John. Take care. And the podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. This podcast is brought to you by Harness Racing New South Wales.